This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So in verse 12, God does not say, so in righteousness or so to God in righteousness, but God says, so to yourselves in righteousness. And by saying that to yourselves, God is telling Israel that it's for your own good that, they, that you turn back to God. When a person turns away from God, that person is hurting himself. That person is opposing their own best interest, which is why we're told to, in regard to the lost, be gentle, be, 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 have a gentle touch, a gentle teaching, a spirit of tenderness. Be patient with the lost because we realize that without them knowing it, that living their lives without God, they're actually hurting themselves. They're harming themselves. They're their own worst enemy, which is why we're told in 2 Timothy 2.24, 2 Timothy 2.24, the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So even though God's angry, it's with the spirit of gentleness and tenderness that God is teaching Israel what they must do in verse 12 and he gives them a great promise, and he tells them if they turn away from sin, if they sow to righteousness, God promised to them harvest, an abundant harvest of mercy, mercy from God, mercy for their sins, it says in Hebrews 8.12, Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And this is what God wants for Israel. He wants their good, just as God wants our good for us. Therefore, God told Israel, he said in verse 12, in verse 12, break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground is uncultivated ground. 
It's wild ground. This last month, I, I, drove, I, I drove across southern Baja California from the Sea of Cortez over to the Pacific side. And it's, uh, it's, it's such an interesting ride because as you drive there, it, 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 Baja California is, is one of the most untouched lands on the earth. You just fly over it and you see nothing, nothing, nothing. If you drive that road, Highway 1, if you drive that road down there, the 70, I invite you to do that. It's only 17 hours down to Loretto. Just take a drive. <laughs> you drive that road, you may go 20 minutes before you see another car coming, passing you. It's not a good place to break down. But anyway, uh, it, 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 it's so uncultivated. So it, when you drive across, when you drive across from the, from the Sea of Cortez, the Pacific side, you, you just get so used to seeing dry ground because it's desert, dry ground full of nothing but cactus and tumbleweed. It's, it's, it's fallow ground, perfect picture. And you're driving across there and then all of a sudden, you come to this dazzling sight of green, 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 straight rows of corn and tomatoes and beans and strawberries. And that land is so alive. It's part of the Mexican crop that accounts for, for, for 50% of all the fruits and in vegetables that are imported into the U.S. comes from, from uh, Mexico. And so you almost have to shake your head a little bit when you come to this. You say, wait a minute, is this the same ground? That, I, that I've been driving through that's produced nothing. And then after you drive some more, then you come back to the dry, uh, fallow, tumbleweed-ridden, uncultivated land of all the cactus that looks so dead. So the contrast of seeing that productive, cultivated land next to that non-productive desert land is so obvious. And, and when you look at the desert land, then you say it's so not unattractive it's so ugly. It's so not fruitful. It's so wasted, wasted ground. And that's what God is talking about here in this chapter when he starts off in verse 1 and he said, Israel is an empty vine. A life that is not lived for God is like that type of ground, that desert, tumbleweed, cactus-filled, non-attractive to God, not fruitful for God, wasted life. And one thing is obvious when you come to those fields in Baja, those fields didn't just become fruitful on their own. Someone put a lot of work to make those fields so beautiful, so fruitful, and that's what God is talking about. In essence, God is telling Israel that he has come to Israel, he's seen unfruitful land, but he's got a vision for them. He's got a vision that the land of their lives can be just green and fruitful. And so he's saying to them, essentially, in verse 1, when he says, break up your fallow ground, he's saying, roll up your sleeves. It's time to get to work. And the first job to make the, the, the ground of Baja, Baja, California South, or, or any ground, to make it fruitful is to break it up. Break up the ground. And that's what God is saying in verse 12. Break up your fallow ground. And what does it mean for a person to break up the fallow ground of their life? Well, the first step in breaking up the fallow ground in their life is for a person to be saved from their sins. That's step number one, to be saved from their sins. And after a person is saved, to break up the fallow ground means for a person to understand that the ground of his life is no longer his own ground. It, 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 after a person is saved from the sin, the, the ground now belongs to God. Before a person is saved, the ground of his life belongs to him. Just as before we were saved, the ground of our lives belonged to us. 
And that was when we used the ground for whatever we wanted. We wanted to, to, to make our, the ground of our lives fruitful for our enjoyment. It's not that Israel was not a fruitful, it was empty vine with regard to God. But as verse 1 says, he says, he brings forth fruit unto himself. He brings forth fruit. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. That was the time B.C. That was our B.C. time before Christ in our lives. When, when, when everything we did was for ourselves. Before we were, we were saved, the ground of our lives had brought forth. And since we, 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 we use our lives to make, to make fruit for, our, for, for ourselves, that's what we did. But when we were saved, it all changed. And the ground of our lives that since that point, we make fruit for our new owner. Our new owner, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 6.19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, recently, Scanabai's Laboratory bought a new building in Otai, 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 U.S., Otai, USA. And it was interesting because after we made this transaction, the previous owner of the building, uh, we allowed him to stay in the building as he had in the past. So the difference was that before he owned the building, and he stayed in, the, obviously, his building, and now we own the building and he's staying there. So the previous owner, he, he continued to work in the building, now, just imagine that your, your body is a house that you live in. Just picture it that way. Your body is a house that you live in. And just imagine that in the first part of your life, before you were saved, you owned the house of your body. It was free and clear. You could do with that house of your body whatever you wanted to do. If you wanted to remove you in a house, just figure it out. Picture you in a house. If you wanted to remove a house between two rooms, you wanted a bigger room, you didn't have to ask anyone. You just did it. It's your house. You can do what you want. And that's what you did when you lived unto yourself. You, you asked no one if it was okay for whatever you wanted to do. You had to get permission from no one. You just did what you wanted to do. Now imagine that you, fe you fell into some really hard financial times and you were broke and you had to sell your house. So you sold your house, so now your house has a new owner, and the new owner is very nice, and he's allowing you to live in the house, but you don't own the house anymore. Now, if you want to remove a wall, you got to ask permission and, and from the new owner because the house no longer belongs to you. Things are different now. Things are different now. And if you did go ahead and remove a wall like you did in the past, you'd be in big trouble. Big trouble because the new owner cares about things like that. So it's hard for you to get used to this fact. It's because you're, it's the same house, but, but the, the ownership has changed. So it's kind of hard for you to get used to it. The house you're now living in used to belong to you. Now it belongs to, to the new owner. It's the same house, but it just no longer belongs to you. So you got to ask permission for what you want to do in the house. You got to accept the fact that maybe the answer is going to be no from the new owner. It's a little tough, but you, you're getting used to it. It's hard for you, but you'll get used to it. You live in the same house but it no longer belongs to you. You got to get used to the new arrangement. As a matter of fact, as you get to know, know your new owner, you actually like him. You like him more and more. You like him so much that you actually kind of want to do what he, what, what he wants you to do with the house. 
In fact, you begin to love the new owner and, and you find yourself asking the new owner, what would you like done with the house? And you ask the owner, well, what would make you happy with the new house? Maybe the new owner says, you know, I, 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 I have a heart for the poor. I really like it that you use the house that once a week, you invite the poor into your house, you make a big party, make a big meal for them. And the you know, owner tells, me, tells you, say, that, that, that would make me happy. So every week you prepare this nice meal and you invite the poor into the house and you do that because it makes the new owner happy. That's what's happened. The house is our body. Before we were saved, we owned our bodies. We owned the house of our bodies. We did whatever we wanted to do with our bodies, but if we wanted to use our eyes to look at pornography, it was pleasurable, we did it because we owned our eyes. It's part of our house of our body. We wanted to get angry with someone and cuss them out. We did it because it made us feel good and because, it, because we owned our mouth as part of the house of our body. But then came the day, then came the day when we saw our sin, we looked in the mirror, we saw our sin, we realized that we were dirty, rotten, stinking sinners and we were headed for an eternity in hell and we knew in our soul we were bankrupt. And, we, and that's when the Lord Jesus steps in with an offer an offer to buy us, to buy our soul, to buy our body, to make them his own. And we accepted his offer to buy us. And he paid us not with cash. He paid, he paid not with cash. He paid not with silver, not with gold, something far more valuable that we've been singing about. He paid when I see the blood. He paid in 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without stop, spot. He, 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 he paid for us with his own precious blood. Now, when he first came to us with that offer, when he first came to us with that offer to, to, to buy us and our soul and our body, he didn't force us to accept his offer to purchase up. We have a complete free will. We can accept or reject his offer. The Lord Jesus made his offer. He laid his offer on the table to buy us and save us from hell, to adopt us, to give us eternal life, to give us an entrance into heaven, a home in heaven forever. He offered to become our shepherd to care for us, to love for us for all eternity. That was eternity. That was his offer, and he put it on the table for us to think about it. He didn't want us to make a hasty decision. He wanted us to think it over very carefully before we signed ourselves away to him. And he wanted us to understand that if we accepted his offer with the payment of his blood, that we were going to be signing ourselves over to him. And if we accepted his offer, then the house of our bodies would no longer be owned by us. But he'd be the new owner of the house of our body, and we would continue to live in that body, but it meant now that our bodies would no longer be our own, which means that the direction for our lives and our decisions that would be made would become his directions and his decisions. That means we'd be reading the book that explains what his will is and the desires that he has, the Bible, that means that we would be constantly communicating with him 
to know his will, to know his desires. We'd be asking for his help. And that communication is prayer. The Bible in prayer would be where we, you, and I would get our direction. This was the agreement. This is a, if we accepted his offers, it's on the table. Salvation meant to accept his offer. That meant our hands would no longer be our own. We'd use them for his purposes. Our feet would no longer be our own. We'd use them to go where he wants us to go. Our voice would no longer be our own. We'd speak the words he wants us to speak. Our money would no longer be our own. We'd use it to, 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 for what he wants the money to be used for. Our heart would no longer be our own. He's going to shape it and what he, what for what and who we should love. So his offer of salvation is on the table. You can, he says to us, you can take it or leave it. You can accept it or reject it. And if we accept it, he says, I'll send my spirit, the very spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to live in that house with you. And he's going to reshape your desires to be in line with my desires. Philippians 2.13, Philippians 2.13. It's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when we accepted the Lord, the house of our bodies was sold. The house of our bodies that used to belong to us and in the past we could do with our bodies whatever we wanted to do. Now things are different. Now the rule is Philippians 1.21, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. The salvation contract that the Lord Jesus laid before us on the table reads, Luke 9, 23, Luke 9, 23, he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That was the same contract that the Lord Jesus put on the table for a man who ran to him because he liked that one part of the contract that promised that he could inherit eternal life. He wanted that. And there were, but there was another part of the contract that was a little sticky for that man, that man who wanted the inherited eternal life. And that was the one clause in the contract about him, him having to give up the right to his money. And that was because that one part of that contract that the, that, that one part of that contract, that was that one part about the money part that blew the whole deal up. The whole deal blew up, even though he really wanted the eternal life part. It's that one little part of the contract that caused him to walk away from the table, reject the contract, and the history is given for us of those negotiations, those failed negotiations in Mark 10, 17. Mark 10, 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may have to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That's God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word. 
But Jesus answereth again and saith unto him, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What it means to break up the fallow ground is to accept the Lord's offer to purchase the life with his blood. And that means that a person gives up all his rights in life, which includes his right to his own money. That's what it means to break up the fallow ground. It means to accept his offer to be purchased, to be saved from sins. Now, sometimes a person enters into the contract, but then starts to take back parts of his life. He's agreed to give them initially to the Lord. I surrender all, he's sung. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender. He's done that. But then he's said, well, but, and he takes these parts back. And that's a time when, when, when the Lord says, we, you need to review the contract again. You need to rededicate yourself to be loyal and keep the contract. And breaking up the, the ground means to be loyal, to rededicate. And sometimes the fallow ground, it means that there's weeds, there's thorns, there's tumbleweed there. And, and, the, and it, those have to be broken up. And this is what the Lord's referring to when he used the analogy in Mark 4.3. Mark 4.3, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, Mark 4.7, Mark 4.7. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Verse 14, Mark 4.14. The sower soweth the word, Mark 4.18, verse 4.18, Mark 4.18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. So here he's laid out for us three categories of weeds, of thorns, three categories that result in a wasted life, fallow ground, an ugly life for God, an unattractive life, an unfruitful life, a wasted life. And he says the three categories are Mark 4, 9, Mark 4, 19, Mark 4, 19. He says, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, those are the thorns that choke the word out and ruin a life for God. That, this is, there is the chokehold of the cares of this life, which are worries about here and now, worries over finances, over the house, over work, over the reputation, over health, over the future. Those are the cares of this life that have a chokehold on the word. And then there's the chokehold of the deceitfulness of riches, which is going after money, which is believing the lie. Only I had money. All of my worries would be over. All of my problems in life would be, would be over. Oh, I hope they pass the rescue bill and I get $1,400 or whatever it's going to be tomorrow. Be a different figure. Those are the ambitions for wealth, the ambitions for wealth. And then there's the chokehold of the lust of, you fill in the blank. He said, lust of other things. Usually lust is thought of to be in the sexual realm, but not only there's a lust for pleasure, a lust for vacations, a lust for travel, a lust for hobbies, a lust for enjoyments. The Lord just said lust of other things because there are so many of them, he couldn't even list them. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.